0: Lord. Take your Bibles this morning if you will please and turn with me to the book of Acts. Uh, Acts chapter 3 is our text this morning we'll begin to read. In verse number 1 we just wanted to step away from our study in the book of Ephesians uh, for just a uh, week. Just really felt impressed by the Lord uh, to offer a word of encouragement and direction uh, to those who are challenged. we we'll are ask our children ages 3 uh, through uh, kindergarten as well. They're going to uh, uh, Sunday morning uh, children's Bible study. If you'll head on downstairs, Miss Laurie's waiting at the back for you. And parents, you can pick them up at the, uh, the end of service. And church family, you're finding the book of Acts chapter 3. Uh, this morning, for just a few moments, I want to speak to you on this subject, uh, essential elements in Great Commission Christians. Essential elements in Great Commission Christians. Acts chapter 3 We'll begin to read in verse number one this morning. Please stand with me this morning, all those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's word. We're in Acts chapter three, begin to read in verse one. The Bible says these words, now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. A certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms, at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that, again, Lord, your precious Holy Spirit would would challenge hearts and lives today. God, we're, we're completely dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit today. Father, we can't understand your word. We can't understand your will unless you call us and you challenge us and you speak to us today. Father, I pray if there's one here, who's lost today in their sin. Just like this lame man, they're crippled in their sin. God, I pray that in repentance and faith today, they'll trust Christ to be Lord of their life so that they can stand and walk today in newness of life. And God, I pray you'll encourage your church today. Remind us from your word uh, of the example of these two who are in the face of great hostility from the Roman Empire. Just continue to faithfully live And God, I pray it will challenge us and we in like fashion will continue to be faithful. I pray these marks that were seen so vividly in their lives will mark us today. As we come to the invitation where there's need, might we respond to what you're trying to do in our hearts and lives today that your best might come about. We'll give you thanks for what we trust you're going to do as we respond to your will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I invite you to be seated. Remember the Church has been born now, been birthed, uh, as we come to Acts chapter 3. Remember that in Acts chapter 1, Acts is just a continuation of the book of Luke, Luke Acts. It was written to the Gentile perspective, to Theophilus. And so Luke just continued to write and to record. And in chapter 1, he reminded uh, us, He reminded Theophilus, but he reminds us as well how Jesus, for those 40 days in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, uh, he ministered with the apostles. He prepared them, those disciples, for what ministry was going to continue to be about. Look, 1910, Jesus says, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. That was his mission in a body of flesh and blood as he ministered here upon this earth. And that mission would continue. He reminded them, though, he would go away He would continue to be with them. But in the person of the Holy Spirit, Acts 1-8 says, And you shall receive power. And on the day of Pentecost, that God turned the lights on, and the Holy Spirit came, and the church received the power that they needed, the power that the Apostle Paul spoke of in Philippians chapter 4, which is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus reminded his disciples and followers in John chapter 15, verse 5, Without me you can do nothing. But Paul says, Through the power of the Holy Spirit... We can do all things in the will of God as he strengthens us. And then Christ gave them a commission uh, that they were to be his witnesses and they were to begin where they were at and begin to move forward. And that's what's happening. Uh, The Holy Spirit came, Peter preached, uh, 3,000 about were saved, Acts chapter 2, verse 41. You know, they could have stayed there. If it had been like most Baptist churches, uh, they would have had, you know, they would have named Pentecost Baptist Church and they would have memori- they would have, there would have been a pillar out there in marble that would have memorialized on this great day in history. The, the great preacher Peter stood uh, and preached, and the power of God fell, and 3,000 were saved, and, and they would have never moved past that. Uh, if Peter would have been like most, uh, quote-unquote, Baptist teachers, preachers today. He'd have written a book about what happened that day. And, and all the things that needed to be in your life for you to have that same kind of power released in your life. But it didn't. They just continued to move forward in faithfulness and what God had called them to do. And they gave God the glory for everything that had happened and continued to depend upon God to lead them. Because, you see, God had called them to be great commissioned Christians. You know, when, when, when we talk about missions... And missionaries, you know, well, several things happen in a person's mind when you, when you mention, like you say, well, there's going to be a missionary that's going to speak here next week. Well, automatically, three-quarters of the church says, well, we're going to mom's church next week. We're not, we're not going to be honest. That's what you're thinking in your mind. Well, they're not going to have anything uh, to offer, so, you know, we'll go somewhere else. But then number two, well, well that's, man, they're a missionary to, 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 to a place somewhere. They're, they're, they're down in Brazil or they're in this place. Friend, I want to remind you, Jesus didn't die on the cross for a piece of ground. He died for souls. And so missionaries that we support, they are missionaries to a group of people who live on a piece of dirt somewhere. And when God saved you, my friend, listen to me this morning. You are responsible to him to live on mission every day, wherever He's planted you. And so wherever your mailbox and wherever your doormat is, that's, that's the piece of ground that you're responsible to God to live on mission for every day. And see, and that really flows out of how you view church. So many people view the church as the church exists for me. And so you come to church with a bib on. And so if, if things aren't exactly right, you know, just like we saw over the past year, And too much, if things aren't just exactly right at the church, well, then I'm not going to be there. But when things are exactly the way I want, then I'll come back because the church exists for me. And friend, it's quite the opposite. We exist for the church. We're to discover our spiritual gift and to put an apron on of service. And so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the mush isn't the right temperature and it's not exactly what I want. I'm not going to knock it off the high chair. God saved me. He saved me from hell. He gave me a spiritual gift. He called me to be a part of the Great Commission so whether things are exactly the way I want or not, I'm just going to continue to move forward in Great Commission faithfulness. And so that's what Peter and John did. Remember, Rome occupied the world at this time. It wasn't an easy time to be a Christian. Rome hated the church. Remember when the Apostle Paul died... Nero decided after he began to remodel Rome through fire, to say that wasn't politically advantageous for him to do that. So he blamed it on the church. And so it was a very difficult day to serve Christ. But here, Peter and John, they just continued, just uh, it's just another day. The, the birds began to sing at daylight. They got up, put their sandals on, and they began to serve God in great confusion and Great Commission faithfulness. And there were, some, there were some necessities, some essentials that were in their life. But listen, they're going to have to be in our life. And I want to remind you again, friend, you're, you're going to stand, if you've been saved, you're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and you're going to give an account for what you've done with your spiritual life. You're going to give an account for God. And you're not going to be able to say, well, God, you know, you know a certain political group took over in, 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 in the fall of 2020 and it just wasn't convenient for me to live on mission because I became so discouraged over the headlines. None of that matters. The reality is still this, friend. There's a heaven to gain. There's a hell to shun. No man comes to God except through Jesus Christ. And God has called the church to live on mission of which we are a part if you've been saved. And so there's some essentials that must mark our lives if if we're going to be faithful and we're going to be effective in, in great commission work, number one, the first thing that's going to have to be in the, is going to be an essential element in your life is a do it together attitude, a do it together attitude. Uh, Amos chapter three and verse three says this: uh, "Can two walk together unless they're agreed?" And they can't. It can't happen. The church will never be effective in great commission work if there's not unity in ministries. Now listen, that doesn't mean that we have to agree on non-essentials. Uh, many of you pull for one college team. Some of you pull for another. Some of you think tomato base is the best kind of barbecue. Uh, you're wrong. It's vinegar based. It's, it's, that's, that's, that's the best. Uh, but those are non-essentials. And we can cut up and be cute about all of those things. But friend, listen, there are essentials that we must be grounded in and we must be unified in here are two men that are completely totally different in their their makeup, but yet they're hand in hand moving forward on the day in great commission work together it, It's a beautiful picture of what a church that has unity must be like. Peter was bold he was he was high spirited and he was motivating i mean he was he suffered early on from a disease that I've suffered with a lot. And it was foot and mouth disease. He always, he always had his foot in his mouth. He would, he would rush sometimes before he thought. But now he's, he's grown in the Lord. And God's harnessing that energy. God's harnessing that motivation. John was different. John was reserved. He's a thinker. He really He's a deep thinker about things. Before he, before he speaks. He's, he was a dreamer. Both were so completely different. But listen, friend, the gospel brought them together. We could go around this room this morning, friend. Very few people in this room are exactly alike. Very few of you that are married together are exactly alike. That's why you've got a healthy marriage. You balance each other out. Your weakness is a strength in the other. And one of their weaknesses is a strength in you. God balances us out. That way, Can you think how boring the church would be if we were all exactly the same? There wouldn't be a need. We'd only need one of us. And so the beauty of the, beauty of the body is its, is its diversity. But even though they were so completely dif- different in non-essentials, they were surrendered and they were unified in the essentials. You see that they had a do-it-together attitude. And it began one by they all had a personal relationship with Christ. They desired for God to get the glory for everything that was done in the life of the church. And they wanted to encourage other people in the church and empower them to use their gifts for God's glory for the furtherance of the gospel. And that's what churches that make a difference do. They have a do-it-together attitude. There's there's unity. There's unity. And if you're going to function effectively in the life of the church, it's the same for us. You have to have that. It takes teamwork. Paul spent much time in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to describe that. That Christ is the head of the church, but the body is made up of many members. Now remember, when we're talking about members, don't confuse that with church membership. Club membership. I'm a, I'm, a member of this deer club, or I'm a member of this garden club, or I'm a member of this cannon club. That's not what we're talking about. When Paul's talking about members, he's talking about a body part. And so can you imagine how foolish a body would look if it was made all of feet? You think about that. Especially if you're not a foot person, you're really grossed out right now. I mean, it's just really bad. But the beauty of the body is it's diversity. It has a head. There's a neck. There's, There's a... A, a torso, there's arms, there's hands, there's fingers, there's legs, there's feet, there's toes upon that that give stability. So it is in the body of Christ. Christ is the head, and then God has uniquely placed everyone within the life of a church that you might function through where He has placed you. And so, the reason I was able to get here this morning effectively is because my feet and my toes and my legs and my thighs work with my core and with my chest and my arms my brain told all those parts what to do and they function together with a do it together attitude that accomplished the goal of getting me in my truck and from my house here safely together and that's the way it happens in the life of a church friend churches that aren't effective don't have a do it first off a do it together attitude and you're going, you're going to have to have that. Now, that doesn't mean that there can't be disagreements. i want to stop right there and just say, there's going to be disagreements in the life of the church. And sometimes people are going to be very passionate about those. Acts chapter 15, Paul and Silas had a disagreement about John Mark. But I want you to listen to me. They disagreed, but they weren't disagreeable. They just decided not to do ministry together anymore. And so they didn't run each other down. Uh, They didn't go on campaigns and try to slander one another. They didn't try to get one group on one side or one side on the other. They just divided and conquered. They weren't able to function together with a do-it-together attitude anymore, and so they did it apart from one another. And sometimes that happens, but they weren't disagreeable about it. One of those challenges, friend, that's going to be sometimes in, in ministry it's people that disagree with ministry, but they want to be disagreeable about it. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter six, verses sixteen through nineteen, that there are six things that the Lord hates, and the seventh is an abomination. And it's to sow discord among the brethren. It's there's a disagreement, but I'm going to make sure, man. I bring a divide. I mean, I'm bringing a wedge bigger than a wood splitter, and I'm going, I'm going to make a wedge so it is known. And, friend, that's not of God. That's not of God. And so it's not wrong to disagree with something that's going on in the life of the church, but there's a way that you can disagree without being disagreeable. Without being disagreeable. Now I want to give you a word, friend, this morning. I hope this will help you. Sometimes there are people who are going to try to say and do things in the life of the church just to cause a splash, okay? Just to cause a splash. I, I've already seen it this week. You can try to guess which day I saw it, all right? But I've already seen that. There's some people that are going to try to do things just to cause a splash. You know, the Bible really says that there's a catch-22 in how to respond to those people. You write these verses down. I hope they'll be an encouragement to you. Proverbs chapter 26, verses 4 and 5. Give us an encouragement about how to respond to a fool. Because only a fool will try to do something in the life of a church to hinder, to hurt, or to destroy the work of a church. That's what the Bible says in Proverbs 6. They're so in discord in the life of a church. And so here's the catch 22. Verse number 4 of Proverbs chapter 26 says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him also. So, the Bible says if you answer a fool to a foolish question, then you're going to be a fool. But now, here's the catch 22, the flip side. Answer a fool, the Bible says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. You see, well, those are conflicting statements. Verse 5 says, don't answer a fool. Verse 6 says, answer a fool. Know what the Bible's teaching is this, friend you can't win when you're dealing with a fool. Do you see that this morning? So you're being unkind. No, friend, I'm trying, to give, I'm trying to give a word of discipleship this morning. Because in this walk of life, if you stick around the church, don't you to listen to me this morning? You're going to deal with a fool at some point. And so if you say something, then you're going to be just like them. And if you don't say something, then you've just empowered them to keep doing that. So I've chosen the first. I just don't say anything and just continue on my way. It's helped me. It's worked for me. Sometimes you do have to say something, but if you're going to be effective in ministry, listen to me, friend, you're going to have to have a do-it-together attitude for God's glory. And Peter and John, they had that. Number two, notice this. There must be discipline in prayer. Discipline in prayer. Your life must be marked by prayer. Look what the Bible says in verse number one again. Now, Peter and John went up together to the the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Well, man, why would Peter need to pray? He just preached. He's got the power of God on his life. He just preached and 3,000 people got saved. Friend, listen, every believer must have a disciplined time and a quality time that they get alone with God in prayer and in the study of his word. Listen to me, your life will never rise above the time that you spend with God in prayer. Spiritually, it will not do it. Tonight, we're going to begin our discipleship lessons again with how to have an effective, quality, quiet time with God. We're going to be studying that over the next several weeks. We're going to be looking at what the Bible has to say about where the Bible came from, how it came about, how it's laid out, so that we can be more effective as a student of Scripture to understand what we're reading and how to apply it to our lives. But part of that time also, friend, must be dedicated to prayer. Getting alone with God, not only asking and confessing and thanking and offering supplications and, and, and offering adoration, but also just being still and listen to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. It's 3 p.m. in the afternoon. It's the ninth hour. And Peter and John are committed to gather together with those who have been saved and to pray It's the appointed time. Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, pray that we don't lose heart. Be honest. When are you most most motivated to pray? Is it every morning because you want to spend time with God? Or is it break glass in case of emergency? If you come to the average prayer meeting, I mean, we're praying more people out of heaven than we are sinners out of hell. Rarely is there praise. We'll offer prayer requests, and then when those are answered, not a word's heard of praise. Sometimes there is, but not often. And we need to pray, and we need to ask. But the point is, is, what's the motivation of the heart? Do we see prayer as the gift is what it is? It's an opportunity, boldly through the blood of Christ, to access the throne room of heaven, and to spend quality, personal, intimate time with the God who loved me and sent His Son to die for me. That he might guide my life and direct my life and that I might be more like him in all things. Jesus modeled this. Luke 181 says, pray that you don't lose heart. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, we're to pray without ceasing. There should be a moment where we get together and we push everything aside, all the distractions, and we just get alone with God and we pray. But the Bible says our lives should be marked by a continual presence of prayer. Just as you move throughout the day, friend, you're, you're listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. You're tuned in. You're dependent. You're seeking His help. Someone's just cut you off at the red light. You're, you're listening to God, friend. You're going to, you're going to respond in a, in a Christ-honoring way. Your wife moved the cube tips and you can't find them to, what, to clean your ear out. And you pray that the Holy Spirit's going to help you respond in the right way. Your boss... Your boss, she's laughing because she did it. I had to pray this morning. I couldn't find the Q-tips. <laughs> and she's having to pray. She won't get mad at me for all the things I do wrong. So it's not that I've got to hit my knees right then, though, Lord, help me, friend. It is just a constant attitude. Thank you, brother. Just a you know, marking upon your life of prayer with God. I'm continually talking with Him and praying with Him, whispering in my heart. Now, Lord, there's that co-worker. Someone says, you know, pray for us. We're fine, friend, if you've got the opportunity right then to pray, but friend, sometimes, I want to remind you, this was one of the greatest problems I saw when I was in seminary. You know, seminarians all the time would be before class would start. Listen, I've got something I'll share with you. I've shared this before. Seminary, seminary students are some of the dumbest people there are on the face of the planet. They are. I don't know why it is, but they are. And you would with that prayer request before class. And they'll say, I just need prayer. I got fired from my job. I was trying to witness to one of my coworkers. And my boss fired me. But I'm going to stand for you. i to you, your boss didn't hire you to be a missionary when you worked. He hired you to make whatever widgets that you're hired to make. That's what you're there to do. And if you've got free time... Fine, give a verbal witness for Christ, but I promise you, you'll witness just as effectively if you'll make all the widgets you can make to the glory of God and not gripe like all your lost co-workers do. You'll gain more ground. But there should be a consistency of prayer in our life that as you see those needs, you're just talking to God, Lord, help me. God, how do you want me to respond to this? Lord, I need your strength. God, this is really bothering me. You don't have time to hit your knees, friend, but you're praying without ceasing. There's a constant fellowship between you and God through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. And such was the case for Peter and John. And because of that, friend, that they were able, they were able to be effective and to sense those needs and those, those opportunities. You say, I'm not sure really how to pray. We're going to look at that in the next several weeks on Sunday night, discipleship. You need to be back. You need to put up... Every Sunday night, 6 o'clock, I'm going to be back for discipleship. I'm going to learn how to look at the world, to, to look how to operate in the world. Matthew 28, 9, Teach teaching and observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. That's what the church is to do. Reach, teach, and encourage. We're going to teach. We're going to teach you what God has said, how you're to operate, and how you're to look at life. Not what I think, not what Greenwood thinks, not what the church covenant says, but what the Bible says. What the Bible says. But one of the easy things, A-C-T-S, Acts, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. One of the easiest little four-part paragraphs to help you pray. I'm not sure how to pray. Just adore the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess your sin because sin separates you from God. If you've got known sin, Psalm 66, verse 18, God won't hear your prayer. Thanksgiving, just give him praise. Thank him for all the... I promise you, friend, if you just thank God for all the things in your life, you'll forget what you're even going to ask him about. You'll remember just how blessed you were. And then start supplicating. Just offer up requests and ask for God's perfect will to be done. So their lives were marked by the discipline of prayer. Number three, there must be a developing of relationships with others. Developing of relationships with others. If you're going to reach people, you have to develop a relationship with them. You know, when I first began in ministry 20 years ago, there was still the attitude of, you know, that evangelism, most church members believed evangelism was this. You ready? Invite somebody to church. They did. Just invite them to church. Friend, I want to remind you, it's not 1950. You can hardly get saved people to come to church now. Much less lost people. I mean, there's so many other things that compete for people's times that they've allowed to take preeminence in their life and they claim to name the name of Christ. And they look at you like a calf staring at a new gate when you try to encourage them to come to church. To be back on Sunday night for discipleship. Do what? 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 So if you're going to reach people with the gospel, listen, you've got to develop a relationship with them. You can't be influenced by them, but you have to influence them. And so Peter and John stop and they develop a relationship with this man. They see that opportunity. Look at your Bibles again, verse number 1 of Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer. It was the night there, and there was a certain lame man there. He was lame from his mother's womb. He was carried whom they would laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. And he was set there to ask alms from those who entered the, the temple. So there's a man that was crippled. He'd been crippled from his birth. And he was a beggar. That's the way he made his living. That's the way he got his bread and coffee money. He, he just begged. And so everybody just saw him there. They saw the cup and this guy's here. And so they'd, they'd throw in a little change and just move on about their business. You know, I wish they could get him a little farther out of the way, almost tripped out. He's just a problem. He's just a problem. Peter and John didn't see that. See, Jesus had changed their life. And they saw a soul. They didn't see the cup. They didn't just see the physical need. But they saw the deeper need. The spiritual need. Religion had found this man. They found him crippled and it left him crippled. Couldn't do a thing for him. I mean, they placed him at the gate, friend, of organized religion. And religion couldn't do anything for him. What's religion? It's a man seeking after God. And that's it. Say, well, I hear people say this. Well, Brother Chad, if my boy could just get back in church, everything would be all right. Just, they just get in church. Friend, listen, getting in church just gives you something to do on Sunday morning, and Wednesday night. People don't need just to get in church. People, lost people don't need to get in church. Lost people need to be saved. Need to be saved. They say, well, if there just be revival in America, everything happens. No, you can't revive what's never been revived. America doesn't need revival. America needs salvation. The church needs revival. And so here this man was friend, sitting at the door to the church and nothing had changed in his life because he needed Jesus Christ. And so they, they were going to develop a relationship with him. They were going to try to reach out and make contact with his life. They saw the greater need. And the greater need is always Jesus. It's always Jesus. And so don't get... Listen... Again, I don't like things that are happening in our country and in Washington, but friend, I'm telling you, boil it all down to this, friend, listen. When when all those leaders who are making unbiblical and ungodly decisions, if they got saved, then they would have access to the mind of God and to the power of the Holy Spirit and could begin to make decisions that are Christ honoring. Because they need a new nature. They need a new nature. Dogs chase cars because they're dogs. Dogs bark because they're dogs. And lost people live like lost people because they're lost. They're lost. They need a new nature. Peter and John saw that. This man needed to be able to walk, but the great friendless, great, he can stand up and walk. How's that going to help him at the great white throne? Great, he can walk into hell now and still be tossed into hell. The need is Christ, and God's called the church to share. But what are the things that burden us, break our hearts? Well, the air conditioning—exactly right. Someone's sitting in my pew. This isn't exactly. Well, the choir's not singing again. I'm just—I'm telling you. What, I mean, I'm, I'll hang out for two weeks, but it really won't be church again until the choir sings. Really? Really? We really want to be church. And be honest. Some of you say, well, the main thing you want to know is when are we going to eat again? <laughs> well, let me just go. A long time from now. None of those things, friend, meet the real need. And that's to build relationships with lost people in our family, in our neighborhood, on the job, at the ball field, in the grocery store, wherever, but to build relationships with people so that we can have the opportunity to share Christ with them. Look what the Bible says in verse number four. He he saw Peter and John in verse three, but then the Bible says, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said this, he says, look at us. He's just kind of looking down the ground saying, God, any alms Peter says, Hey, look right here, buddy. I want to tell you what you need. You need what we've already gotten. He says, I'm Peter. I'm the one that talked big, but at the finger point of a little girl, this, this completely said, I don't even know who Jesus is. I'm, I'm him, but I'm the one that Jesus gave a second chance to. He says, I'm going to use you. Look at me. He says, if Christ can change my life, he can change yours. He began to share his personal testimony with them. Peter and John were great commissioned Christians. Notice this, friend. Peter wasn't looking for another crowd of 3,000. Do you see that? He didn't walk by and say, well, I, won't, I can't preach to less than 3,000. You know, I mean, it's just this crippled guy. He says, no, friend, it's about souls. It's about souls. It's about souls. One soul or 3,000. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. And they knew that, so they saw this opportunity. Why? Because Mark chapter 1, verse 17, Jesus said to them, Come after me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Friend, you can't fish for what you're not fishing for. You can't catch what you're not fishing for. And so they left that day She Well, John, let's go fishing. Let's go. God, just give us one today. They were committed to prayer. They were praying before they left. God, just give us one. Is there just one person that we can share what you've done for us? Just one person. God, let us build a relationship. They looked on Him because they were looking for Him. They looked on him because they were looking for him. That's what Jesus said he came to do. Look, Nineteen verse ten: to seek and to save that which is lost. Some of you this morning, your parents drug you here. You're just waiting for the end. Some of you came because maybe you thought the choir was going to be singing this morning. You're just you're grumpy. You're just ready to go home. Some of you don't even know why you got here this morning, but friend, God knew why you were here. And the great need you have in your life, friends, is what this man had. You need to be saved. If you've never turned and trusted Jesus Christ I want you to know, I want you to look at me this morning I'm somebody that was bound for hell. I had a drug problem for 18 years my parents drugged me to church for the first 18 years of my life and all I had was religion for many years but one day the Holy Spirit got a hold of my heart and he saved me after many years of just riding the fence in and out in and out in and out. Revelation chapter 3. Jesus knocked at the door of my heart, friend. And I opened the door, friend. And I let Christ be Lord of all for the first time in my life. And I'm telling you, friend, He changed my life. And if He didn't my life, He didn't change yours. The reason some of you are so miserable in church is, if you've been saved, you're not letting Christ have full reign of your life. He's not Lord. And you're going to be miserable until you let him have everything. I'm telling you, look at me. I can't change your life, but Jesus can if you'll give him everything. Now, I just want to say, friend, listen, I'm I'm big on customer reviews. I won't buy anything without looking. Now, some people are just nutcases, and they just want to gripe about everything. you got to sort through those, but sometimes you can find some good, genuine reviews that people make and say, man, I think I'm going to buy that then. That's got... Friend, I give five stars to Jesus Christ. I'm a satisfied customer. And you will be too. So they they sought to build a relationship and to share what Christ had done in their life. Number four, a fourth thing that's got to be in your life, if you're going to be effective in Great Commission work, there must be a deliberate sharing of the gospel. A deliberate sharing of the gospel. When they left that day, friend, they went with the intention of setting the hook. Now, everybody that's been part of this church for a while, and you know me, you know that I love to fish. I love it. I will tell you something, friend. I don't fish with lures that don't have hooks on them. Because when they bite, I want to cross their eyes and then let them flop in the floor when they get them in. I, I have, when, when I cast, my deepest desire is to set the hook in something. When Peter and John left that day, friend, on mission for Christ, they went to build a relationship, but they also went, they wanted to share Christ verbally. They wanted them to see that Jesus had changed their life, but they also wanted to give a verbal witness. Why? Because faith comes by, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. They want to share what the Bible says it takes to be saved. They want to share Christ with them. And so the man's asking for alms, verse 3. Hey, you got a a few pennies? But Peter saw the greater need. The greater need was sharing the gospel with him. It begins with your testimony. Look at us. I'm Peter. I'm who have been changed. We have a genuine Walk with Christ. Remember what we saw on Mother's Day when Paul began to write about Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1? He says, I'm so encouraged. My heart is just stirred to prayer when I look and see the genuine, non-hypocritical faith that's in your life. Genuine faith. Peter says, look at us, man. We're sinners saved by grace, and we fall every day. But our greatest desire is to honor Christ in all things, and, and we're walking with Him now. We've forsaken all we're walking with him. Look at us. And so their, their life backed up the message. He says, look at us. But the man, he still, didn't, he still didn't get it. Verse 5 says, so he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Peter says, man, look at us. He thought, oh, they, they're going to put some bills in the cup. He still didn't get it. And now Peter begins to to challenge him. He says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, man, I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you what I do have. And that's that's Jesus Christ. Faith and repentance. The two words he says that changed my life. Luke 13.3, Jesus said, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. Faith, Romans 10, 9, and 10. Paul says, believe in your heart, confess in your mouth. Trust Christ to be Lord of your life. He says, I'm going to give you what Christ gave me. I want to share that with you. But it's going to be up to you. And so people had sat in there daily. But now he begins to respond to an invitation. Look what the Bible says in verse number 6. Then Peter said to him, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Well, he couldn't stand on his own. But the power of God, friend, could help him to stand. Peter says, the power of God changed my life. He says, you've got to respond to that invitation. I want you to listen to me this morning. If you're here and you've never been saved, at the end of the service, we're going to give an invitation. I'm going to remind you again very quickly at the end of the service how sin, you were born with a sin nature. There's a penalty for sin. All have sin. God loves you and sent Christ to die in your place, but you must choose to repent and by faith trust Christ to be Lord of your life. Now, I'm going to invite you to do that but I can't make you do it. I can't do it. I can't talk you into it. The Holy Spirit can draw you. He must. Only He can convict of sin, righteousness, judgment to come. That's an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Now I can share with you from Scripture what God says it takes to be safe, to choose to turn in by faith, trust Christ. But listen to me, choose you must. Choose you must. I can't do it for you. You have to respond to the invitation. And this man had to do it. I mean, he'd been crippled his whole life. Listen, don't miss this. And Peter says, listen, take me by the hand. In the, not in the name of Peter, not in the name of John, but in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of God demonstrated on the cross and the power demonstrated in an empty tomb that God raised him from the dead, stand up and walk. And by faith, he grabbed hold, and he stood up. Not in his own strength. He couldn't do anything. But by faith, he reached out, and he received. And if you'll be saved, you'll do it that same way. You'll do it. If you'll not receive it that way, friend, you'll not be saved. You can't join enough churches. You can't be baptized. Listen, you can be baptized in every baptistry, Creek, listen, do you know every tadpole and frog by name, but it won't change a thing. You must be born again. You must be born again. And all those, friend, that won't be, you're lost. You're lost. You must choose and turn. And this man, friend, he reached out, and he grabbed hold. And his life was changed. But it was because, friend, Peter and John left that day deliberately Looking to share. Now I not you to listen to me? How many times did you leave your house last week and deliberately you went fishing for Jesus Christ? When you went to the doctor's office, did you go deliberately to go fishing? When you went to work, were you going fishing? When you went to the grocery store, were you going fishing? When you left the house this morning to come to church, were you going fishing? When you served in Iwana and you sat down as a listener, were you going fishing? When it was your rotation to work downstairs with the children, were you going fishing? When you stood to sing a solo or work with the choir, were you going fishing? No one catches anything, friend, that doesn't deliberately try to fish. You've got to be looking. Most heartbreaking things that ever happened in my life, friend. I, I do not, I share it with. A tender heart when I share it. When I first... I was, I was an associate pastor at Calvary Road Baptist Church. First ministry Melissa and I ever had. I was a youth pastor. Mel Gibson had put a movie out that, a lot, that was the talk of the, talk of the world, uh, the, the passion of Christ. Now I, I had gone to a Baptist Bible bookstore to pick some materials up to hand out that night at church. And I, I walked down Main Street in front of John Graham's. I crossed through a sidewalk and, and, and I saw a couple of boys sitting there on two benches that straddled the sidewalk. Went up the street to the Bible bookstore, came back down through. I'll never forget, listen, I'm not kidding. When I, I, had, I, had, to, I had to go get my hair cut. I had an appointment to get my hair cut. This. I had an appointment to get my hair cut. I was walking through these two guys. I'll never forget as long as I live. God, God help me. I heard one of them say as I approached, have you seen that movie, The Passion of Christ? One guy said that. And the other boy said, no, I haven't. He says, but I want to. I've got some questions about it. And I walked right in between them because I had to get to my haircut. I walked across the sidewalk. I got about 20 feet up Main Street, and the Spirit of God hit me just like that. I said, what are you doing? I didn't hear a voice. You know, I... I, I I worry about these preachers saying, no. well, God, God told me. I didn't hear a voice. But yet, friend, I heard a voice in my heart so loud I couldn't mistake. And I'm not kidding, friend. I ran. I ran back across the sidewalk, and they were gone. They were gone. And I ran up. People thought I was crazy. I ran down the street. I ran back up the street, and I couldn't find them. And I said, God, forgive me. There was was somebody that wanted to know what the Bible says it takes to be saved. And I was more concerned about a haircut. I stood in front of my church family that night and I confessed that and asked them to forgive me. I asked God to forgive me. And friend, it it was a turning point in my life. But how many people do we walk by every single day that God has placed in our path that we can give a verbal witness of what Christ has done, but we're so consumed with us In our lives, in our focus, in our timetable. And what we don't like in life. And how things aren't exactly ordered the way we want them. And so we become so consumed by us. God help us. And God give us a soul consciousness that moves us to a place as committed disciples of Christ that we be the same kind of people who took the time to tell us how to be saved. That's that's an essential in the life of a great commissioned Christian. A deliberate sharing of the gospel. Sure, friend, I'll be glad to come along with you and tell them. If you bring them to me, I'll tell them how. Any of our deacons will. But, friend, God has commissioned and will hold you responsible for the people that He's going to place in your life to give a verbal witness of what Christ has done. And though Peter had failed many times, he didn't that time. He seized the opportunity And he shared what he had with someone else. Then, number five, friend, there must be in our lives an essential that's a demonstrated example of the gospel's power. I love this. Look at verse number eight. The Bible says so he reached out by faith, so he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, praising God. That's an example of the gospel. His life's been changed now. Now, listen, he had to make a decision. Now, listen, don't miss this. He can't keep the same job anymore. He's got to go to work. He can't just keep begging. So he left the old life behind to embrace a new life in Jesus Christ. There's change. There's change. And there's an impact of that. Look what the Bible says in verse number 9. And all the people saw him walking, talking, and praising. God, well, we'll just call him... We'll call him Bob, okay? Someone all of a sudden sees somebody come running through, screaming, Woo! Praise the Lord! Well, sure, that's going to get everybody's attention. And they look, who is that? And they're like, is that Bob? That's old Bob. Well, I saw Bob at the gate. Bob's been crippled since birth. Bob's not crippled anymore. Well, what happened? Jesus Christ had changed his life. Everybody was talking about Maybe you heard about Bob. you seen Bob, did you see Bob? Well, I heard Bob. What, what happened to Bob? Bob trusted Christ to be Lord of his life. Bob trusted Christ. And seeing Bob's testimony started influencing other people. They all knew who he was. And so, friend, I'm telling you, one of the things the devil tried to lead you to think is this. The reason I can't live on mission and the reason that I can't witness this is because I'm so insignificant. We'll try to lead you to that. Well, I can't talk well. You might have come from just a dysfunctional background, be it parents who are no accounts that didn't help build you up and train you in the way you should go. You might have been part of a broken relationship where you were just beat down. I want you to look up here at me this morning. Everybody, look at me. You are somebody in Jesus Christ. You're somebody in Jesus Christ. And He wants to share His love and His message through you. And one of the ways that can happen, friend, is what he's already done in your life. They're going to see that there's something different in you because of the life changing power of the gospel. Well, and the influence my life can have. We too were born crippled in our sin, but someone saw, someone shared, someone invited me. And I trusted Christ. And again, I'm just saying, Jesus Christ changed my life. He changes it every day. I never leave His presence. I never leave His word. I never leave prayer. Then I'm not different because of the work that He's doing in my life, progressively setting me aside more each day that I might be used for His glory and the good of someone else. It's a testimony. And so I encourage you friends, live in the fullness and freedom. Of the life that you have in Jesus Christ and give Him the glory. Give Him the glory. Seize those opportunities. Is it tough days? Yes, it's tough days, but it was tough days then. They're not trying to kill us yet, they're trying to kill them. They're not dragging us out and beating us black and blue yet, but they were them. If Peter and John can be faithful, friend, by God's grace and God's powerment, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to make a difference in someone's life. People take note of that attitude, friend. They'll desire what you have. But I just, man, I love just to think about him. Can you imagine him just running through that temple of dead religion where these Christians were starting to gather and to pray in Jesus' name and just singing? Man, what... What what in the world happened to Bob? You can just hear him sing. Oh, he touched me. Yes, Jesus touched me. And now, oh, the joy that floods my soul. What in the world happened to Bob? Something wonderful happened. And now I know Jesus touched me. And he made me whole. Friend, there's a lost world that is drowning in their sin. God has called the members of Greenwood Baptist Church to put their big boy and big girl britches on every day and to leave their place where they live and to go out on mission seeking those that we can win to Jesus Christ. Be faithful to do what God's called us to do in these days. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. You can't lead someone, friend, and you can't tell someone about someone you've never met or a place you've never been. If you've never turned from sin and trusted Christ, that is the need that you have today, not to join the church, not to be baptized, but to be saved. Christ loves you. He died for you because the penalty for sin is death in a place called hell. If you've never trusted Jesus, Won't you by simple faith choose to turn from sin and by faith just receive him now? Tell him so just like this in a simple prayer of faith. God, forgive me a sinner. I believe, Jesus, you died for me on the cross. I believe you rose from the grave. and By faith, I'm trusting you today to be Lord of my life. Save me, Jesus. Just a moment, we're going to stand our feet. When Peggy begins to sing, if you prayed that prayer, you've trusted Christ, I'm going to invite you to make your way to the front so I can encourage you in what God wants to do next in your life. brother and sister in Christ, are those five necessities a reality in your life? You amen them. You affirm that they must be there, but are they a reality in your life? Where are you found lacking today? Parents, I want to remind you, evangelism starts at home. Are they a reality in your life as parents, grandparents? Where the Holy Spirit's showing need today. Won't you repent? Won't you let God have free reign of all your life and experience his reviving touch? Maybe the need in your life is just to pray a prayer just like this. Oh God, I want to be a great commissioned Christian. I want my life to have this kind of impact. God, you're showing me where the needs are. You're showing me where you're not Lord." i lay those areas down at your feet today. Forgive me. Now, God, open my eyes to the whiteness of the harvest that's around me. And God, might I be faithful to do as these have done in this passage today we've studied. And we're back in the sanctuary. It's really a more easy time to do this. God may be leading your family. You need to relink your life with the ministries here at Greenwood Baptist Church. You come today, however this church receives Members, if that's what God's leading you to do. That's His will for you. You may have trusted Christ, and you know you need to follow the Lord and believers' baptism. You come today for that decision. Father, speak to your church now. Whatever your will is inviting us to do, God, I pray, will not quench or grieve the Holy Spirit, but your best might come to pass right now as we bow our knee to your will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Let's reverently stand our feet. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. If you need to make a decision, you step out and come right now. Won't you come?